welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today, I am joined by Dana Carmen and Joel Janowitz, and we're going to be talking about the work that they have brought into the world that they call wayfinding, which is where they take leaders and teams out into the natural world, where they use the aliveness of nature as a mirror to help bring clients into their truth more deeply. So Dana and Joel have been good friends for 20 years or more and high-level coaches for over 30 years, respectively. Dana has been working as a coach and consultant to leaders of more than 200 organizations on five continents. He's co-founded several pioneering consulting firms, including Clarion Consulting, Action Inquiry Associates, and Pacific Integral. Joel is a coach and consultant working with CEOs and top teams. His clients have included venture-backed startups, growth stage, and large companies, including the NatWest Bank, Electronic Arts, FedEx, Procter & Gamble, Nissan, and numerous clients in the world of education and nonprofit. He was also a co-founder of Innovation Associates, helping pioneer the body of work known as organization learning, described by the co-founder of Innovation Associates, Peter Senge. And in our conversation today, we're really going to get into what happens when you engage in leadership development work, transmissional work in nature, when you cross that threshold into nature, what does nature afford in this experience? I'd really appreciate it if you'd consider leaving a review of this podcast. It helps spread the word about it and build the following. All right, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Dana Carmen and Joel Janowitz. All right, so welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. We're trying a new kind of intro here. We've got, we're kind of transitioning the whole podcast from SoundCloud to Red Circle, which probably the listeners won't know, but it means that now we're going to do a different intro. I'm going to introduce my two podcasts guests live today and then we'll move into the conversation so i'm joined by joel janowitz and dana carmen how are you doing each of you good good morning good to be here great great to see you both so i'll just say a little bit about you and then i would like you each to just say a few more words but um yeah if i begin with you dana you've been working as a, an advisor and a consultant and an executive coach uh to more than uh, 200 visionary organizations on five continents. And you've co-founded several pioneering consulting firms, including Clarion Consulting, Action Quiry Associates, and Pacific Integral. So uh, we're in good hands today. And, and Joel, I'll just say a few things about you that I pulled from your bio. You're a, you're a coach, consultant, and senior advisor. And you have also... Uh, launched and ran your own companies. You were the co-founder and managing director of Innovation Associates, the firm that brought the prestigious work of Peter Senge's book, The Fifth Discipline, uh, to companies worldwide. And you were also the vice president of Arthur D. Little, which is a global management consulting and technology development company. Uh, there's a lot more I could say about each of you, but you know, when we read out these bios too much, it can get a little kind of stilted so um what did i miss about each of you what would you like to add just you know in a in a minute or so about what you're each up to in the world and i know you collaborate together and we're going to talk about that in the podcast but yeah go ahead daniel let let you dive in yeah um i think the thing i i want to say when i reflect back on being in this field of 
coaching and transformational education for my whole adult life. It's been a lifeline uh, and it, it, there's been different expressions of it, but it's been kind of the heart of my own development. It's been the th like, I don't know that I would have focused as much on my own development if my if my work hadn't been for others for doing this kind of work. It's been both a pro a profession, but it's also been a deep calling and it's um, and it's always been alive and fresh um, almost always. And um, so I feel like it's been a privilege to be be in this world over the last 30 plus years. And uh, it's getting more fun. I guess it all depends how you define fun. <laughs> but I would agree, uh, Dana. My my uh, experience is similar uh, of having been in this profession for several decades. And I think the, the through line for me, both internally for myself, but also in my work, has been the uh, the question of how people in organizations can bring into being their highest aspirations. You know, I think all of us go through life with... Uh, a set of desires, hopes, aspirations for what we want for ourselves, for our families, our communities, the world we live in. Uh, and um, the the question of how people come together in an organizational setting, a team setting, and the role of leaders in catalyzing that and creating conditions for that, for people to actually be able to express those aspirations in their day-to-day -day interactions and in their larger um sense of calling and mission they bring to work has been the, the uh, a longstanding curiosity and driver for me. Amazing. Yeah, we're going to really get into this topic of calling because I think it really fits with wayfinding, which is the what you're both up to in the world. Actually, I just want to sort of ask before we talk about that, how are you two each making sense of, um, well, you know, Dana, you just said like it's getting more fun and uh, – <laughs> Um, I'm curious what you mean by that. And and do you see that there's um, an increasing appetite for people to, you know, to orient to purpose and calling in these times with everything that's unfolding? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess when I'm saying it's getting more fun, I'm meeting it. I'm meeting it in a couple of ways. Um, one it feels to me like we're living in a wild, disruptive and dangerous time. And I'm very aware as I start the new year um, that there are things that are going to happen in all of our lives that we can't predict right now. And maybe and, and like things could go so many different ways in the personal, the interpersonal and the global and um, and so it feels to me like um, and where we source this work from is being tuning into the call of the time to tuning in, you know, um, Greg Thomas, who I know somebody, somebody you've had on the show and he and others um, speak about this notion of a post tragic sensibility of you know, we're, we're focused in our development, we're focused on our own life and our own success. And then we begin to, 
to wake up to the moment that we're living in. We begin to look at some of the statistics around every possible, you know, the, we call it the poly crisis, and it's easily overwhelming and disturbing. And and then there's another place to stand, you know, which is um, giving what we're here to give with for its own sake to honor you know to be an expression of the beauty that we see and to be able to amplify and evoke that for its own sake and you know i i would call that as a place you know this place to stand in a a time that's heartbreaking and quite disruptive so when i say it's fun the other the other part i want to say is from that space and from being able to see, um, I guess, I guess this this practice of um, impermanence, you know, which is a thread through every spiritual practice. I'm very much in touch with the preciousness of, of having good health and the good fortune to be able to do this kind of work, and that it's there's a time it's going to end, and so as I relax into the truth of that, I feel much more joy and much more inspiration. Um, but it's, it's not like a, what is it? It's like a, um, as Leonard Cohen would say, like a broken hearted hallelujah. Not like when I was younger, like <laughs> sometimes there's a little of this, but, but mostly it's a, it's a different kind of joy. So I pass it to my, the baton to Joel. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'll say a little bit about uh, how Dana and I uh, work together. So we met around 20 years ago, and our friendship really developed in nature. So we would uh, go backpacking together in the mountains in the summer. We'd spend time in the mountains skiing in the winter. And in those times together, we would do really deep dives and reflective uh, conversations around our respective work, our clients, uh, what we were doing, how we were orienting, where we were stuck and struggling. Uh, and after, you know, uh, after those conversations, we'd always say, boy, that was amazing. We, we, we should work together because <laughs> uh, this is really this is very, you know, kind of uh, complementary, but very different ways of seeing the world. And so after about 15 years of saying that, we finally started actually working together uh, a couple of years ago and, and have certainly found it to be true. I'll say for me, it's really uh, added a huge dimension to the uh, quality and impact of my work. Uh, five and, years uh, ago, by the way. Five years ago. OK. And added a lot to our friendship. Um, but the roots of it were spending time in nature. Uh, and as we started doing our work, this uh quality of spending time in nature is something we then extended to our work with our clients. Uh, I'm, I'm a little oversimplifying the, the, the journey to, to do that, and each of us came at it in, in different ways. Um, but to the question of, of, of work uh, being fun, it, it's, uh, it's almost, uh, as Dana was saying, it's a matter of perspective around in the uh, way of looking at the world, you could easily get depressed 
you could look at the insanity of things, the polarization, whether it's around economic crises, social crises, climate crises. There's there's any sector of society you look at, you can say there's a crisis that if you project it forward in time, whether time is five years, 25 years, 50 years, at some point you say the, the thing uh, just goes to hell in a handbasket and and you pull your hair out and say it's, it's already happened uh, and um, and and get immobilized. So the question is, where does one stand? And particularly as a as a coach or as someone who works with uh, systems, whether those are uh, organizational systems, uh, you know, in our case, what we do is what's a place to stand that actually has people deeply grounded in reality as it is, but not in a way that is immobilizing or disempowering, but also is a place that allows people to move and do their part and, you know, uh, Dana, the way you, you put it, I thought was really beautiful around what's what what is what is it that I bring? What's my offering here that is an expression of my best contribution to the world as I see it for its own sake? You know, uh, there's there's always a, a dichotomy in this work around um, we're working to improve and fix and change things. And at the same time, the capacity to completely accept things as whole and complete and, and uh, recognize the perfection of the way they are. And, you know, this is true internally in ourselves, uh, in our one-on-one -on -one relationship with clients, but it's, it's a stance, I think, in relation to the larger global crises that, that we're all in also that of course we want things to be different and we want to do our best to change and improve them. Um, and recognizing that there's a, it, it is the way it is. And there's a, I don't want to say perfection, like it's, it's fine the way it is because it's not fine, but yet there's a, a beauty and a perfection in it that, that needs to be appreciated and accepted in order to actually do our best work to help things move forward. I'm not sure if that is clear or not, but that's, I think speaks to, What's underneath that notion of work is getting more more interesting, more challenging, but also more, I would say, more enlivening at the same time. Yeah, it does seem like these times are, you know, I use that phrase soul making times. And what yeah. I mean by that is, yeah, the invitation through the crises that we face is an invitation into what's my music to play here? What, what gifts am I here to give? And um, you know that you, Joel. You kind of named it like the place where I give them from isn't necessarily like um, I don't need anything back from it, you know. And I'm not trying to necessarily save the world. It's just you know I can play that music uh, in my own sweet way and just as an act of service. And um, so something you each said I think is worth I want to explore a bit further with you, which is like how how can we find that place that you each described where you know, I'm I'm open to the, you know, I'm not I'm not in denial about what's unfolding in the world, and yet I'm not, you know, overcome with depression or a sense of hopelessness. You know, I feel I feel that sense of um, joy or, you know, sense of wanting to a fun, wanting to serve. How can we access that? And may, maybe this is where we talk about wayfinding. You know, the work you do with leaders in nature. Um, or not, but yeah, that's my question. I, um, I generally find myself a little stumped by how to questions <laughs> like that. Um, there was a time in my life where uh, a colleague 
uh, shared a quote with me, said, every day I wake up torn between the desire to fix or save the world and the desire to enjoy or savor the world. This makes it very hard to plan my day. <laughs> <laughs> and and that that was true for me for many years, and it's not true anymore. It's very easy for me to plan my day, integrating those. And if I think about, how, well, how did I get there? Um, I don't have a simple answer for that, or, or I should say I have a simple answer, but it's not easy. Uh, but this process of continual, for me, it was a process of continuously working on acceptance of what is, like not arguing with reality, whether it's my own, who I am and my my strengths, my shadows, uh, you know, all those things we talk about in our profession uh, or the way the world is. Uh, and and my frustration and anger at the political system or the economic system uh, and and wealth disparities in society. You know, you hear, there's a long list of things, um, but but doing the work to actually accept things as they are, and in the face of that, still aspire to want things to be different, and have those things not be separate, like ones over here and ones over there, but but live together. And I don't have a simple how-to in that, except for that was that was the the journey over several years. I know Dana. What would what? How do you write? Yeah, I I feel like I'm you know very much a work in progress and discovering this as I go along. And you know, one aspect um, of being able like this is like one of the things that I when my wife and I were looking at this coming year, you know, we're doing this on early January was bringing, connecting more to joy, being joy. And for me, just, uh, you know, we're talking about wayfinding as a process that Joel and I do with clients of going into nature, but it's also, uh, both of us, um, you know, we talk almost every every day. Both of us get out into nature. Even nature sometimes is just the neighborhood. And letting go of this kind of vision and opening up to the larger world that being with the sky and, and the mountains and the, and the river and whatever is there... Um, something begins to relax and something else begins to open up and joy begins to arise. So there's, you know, there's, for me, there's, there's the practice of letting go and opening to joy. And then there's also turning towards the difficult feelings that are there and staying, staying with them and being able to, be there for myself, being able to turn, being able to feel what's hard, what I usually want to turn away from and being able to get better at ongoingly at stopping. And uh, I'll use the word dying to what's there. And what often happens is there's strong emotion the emotion gets expressed, something relaxes, and something else opens up. And Joel, you know, we 
we demonstrated this when you invited me to work with Thomas Hubel on the Coaches Rising podcast. You know, I had the privilege of being coached, which in a certain way was, you know, saying being coached is being able to be pay really pay attention to what's here and have someone else be able to feel with me and give back to me what they're feeling. There's an alchemical movement that happens there. So that does that feel there's that's both something we do um, with clients, but it's also just something we do with our with ourselves. We do with each other. <laughs> during the course of the day. And we also teach our clients, give our clients practices to be able to do that for themselves. So I know it's kind of a long, it's a long answer about joy, but I'm, I, I find there's this direct, there's the joy of just going outside and letting go and opening up and, and that's easy. But then there's the joy that comes through the window of the pain of the, you know, and for me all the time, it's dropping out of my obsessive thinking and my planning mind and drop being curious about what's going on in the body and what's happening in the emotional body. And there's always something there when I'm when when the thinking is wound up. I imagine you both would could speak to your version of that, too. Yeah, definitely kind of makes me think of what you were saying about the post-tragic as well, where there's this kind of joy, because it's interesting because joy has become a big theme for me in the last hmm. two, three months. Uh, and, um, you know, this kind of joy, which is it's not like um, exclusive, you know, like if, if grief comes in, you know, if I open to the loss that's occurring, that that's, you know, going to, kind of push that joy out or it's a threat to that kind of joy. It's a kind of joy, which actually, um, you know, is kind of blooms through a broken heart and through being broken open. And, and that actually, um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of that can actually even blossom by feeling those difficult emotions and, and, and accessing the feeling body and attuning to that more. So, um, yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And maybe like, let's kind of situate this conversation a bit more inside of wayfinding now, because uh, we've named it a few times. But could you could you tell us what what is wayfinding? We, we kind of alluded to what it is, but yeah, what do you what is wayfinding? What do you who do you do it with, and how and stuff? Yeah. yeah. Um, you want me to take it, Dan? Yeah, I'm Sorry, sure I'll I'm sure I'll pile on. So, so it, it, uh, there's different levels we can answer, but at one level, basically when we talk about wayfinding, we're talking about a process where we take clients into nature. It could be for half a day, it could be for two or three days, um, around a set of questions uh, that nature is, uh, initially I'll say um, my, my understanding was nature was kind of a context or backdrop or a setting for it, but what we've discovered over time is actually nature is an active participant in the conversation. Um, and the questions are, are simplest way to say is what time is it in the world? How do you understand what time it is in the world? What time is it in the life of your organization? If you're a leader in an organizational setting and what time is it in your life? 
And how do you uh, inquire into those questions and see where they meet? And so there's a conversation internally within uh, you as the client with between us and the client and between us and, and, and nature. And what's interesting in nature is, is one, uh, we've seen people have a very different set of possibility, literally when you're outside with a big horizon, that people's horizons, their capacity for more expansive thinking and sense of possibility shifts. Um, at the same time, uh, for some people, the more significant aspect of being in nature is the capacity for deeper acceptance of what is. Like we're walking on the earth and the earth doesn't care who you are or where you've been or what you're embarrassed or ashamed about, or, you know, it, it takes you as you are walking on the path. And there's a capacity for uh, acceptance of what is as part of something larger and feeling oneself, not as someone walking in nature, but feeling oneself as a part of nature that there's a relationship with the, the natural world that creates a different sense of perspective or context, but it, it, just a different feeling. You know, and we were talking about joy. Uh, for some people, there's a spontaneously arising joy. Like when you see a beautiful painting or something, that, that, that something uh, external provokes this spontaneously arising joy. Um, and there's uh, also the possibility of a more intentional, like invitation, not like I'm going to make myself joyous by saying affirmations about joy, that, not that kind of thing, but more like an invitation, like who would I be if I just allowed, what would it feel like, what would it be like in this moment right now, if I allow just a little bit more joy into my system, and it's a receptive invitation quality. And that same uh, receptive invitational quality uh, is some of what gets activated on wayfinding in nature of inviting the quality of, you know, fill in the blank that's most relevant to a person's uh, sort of next steps in their own growth, their own understanding of how to move through the world. So something shifts when, when nature is a part of that conversation that doesn't happen sitting in an office or uh, on Zoom. Mm. You want to add anything to that, Dana? I do. I, lo I love what you're, I love what you're sharing, Joel. And, you know, the, the two of us are always holding, we're always dancing the polarity dance. You know, and we're we're also, you know, we work with people, obviously, and with ourselves about we meet people where they are. And we also hold a big invitation for, um, you know, this question, what time is it in the world and what time is it in your life? And where does that and where does that meet? And so. um Sometimes, and, and the work that we do, we we've do it with individuals. Um, we've done it all over the world. We have favorite places that we go to to do this, but we've um, 
we do it with individuals. We do it. We've done it with partnerships. Um, we've done it with teams. We do it with teams. And, um, and so part of, part of this question about what, what time is it in my life is being able to look um, from the end of your life, being able to look from the end of your life and looking back at what is this next chapter about? And often when we begin to look from the end of our life and we begin to look at what this next chapter is about, what's there almost always is what's what from the past is present that is asking for healing and that's asking to be met. And this whole process of being able to be in nature um, as nature <laughs> with nature being the catalyst for healing. And I think this, um, you know, many of us, and I can, I can look in my own life when I've gone through healing crises or unraveling in my life was always been there. You know, my, my human parents weren't always there, <laughs> but, um, but my, nature has always been there as, uh, as a mother, as a place that I could bring my tears as a place that I felt my ground and support. And so being able to, to um, being able to, to relate, to meet with nature, whatever's there that wants to be healed also creates a release of energy, a release of creativity, a release of clarity about what's next. And before we go into nature, we often, um, mostly we, we work with the leadership circle. So, that's a that's a, a really rich context where people can see how is it that I'm showing up for myself and how am I showing up in different contexts? And it often brings up it brings up a lot of things, you know, um, but it but for many people, it often brings up where energy stuck, where um, that wants to be released for what the world is asking of that person right now. And um, so it's a, it's a very beautiful, natural, you know, very, I'm using these words and doesn't quite name it, but um, it feels like a very natural process. And one of the things as um, you and I discovered Joel, when we, when we did this together a month, a month ago is as the person guiding um, you're, you have, my experience is you have to, you're in it yourself. You can, you know, this, you have to be in the, um, inquiry, uh, th with these questions together. It becomes like a conversation between the earth, the sky, <laughs> you, the person guiding the person who's being guided, it becomes one thing. And that's what's so, you know, for me, so magical about it. And and then we come out of the experience and it's like, okay, how do I integrate what I saw on the mountain back into the circumstances of my life? 
and the context that I'm living in. How how does that be? That's when it gets really fun. Yeah, beautiful. Um, there's so many questions here. Um, I'm just curious, do you take people out for a day or for a, a weekend or what's the kind of time scale you're often immersed in nature? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it, it varies uh, with if we're doing it with a, an, an individual. It can be anywhere from probably uh, the better part of a day to, to two days. Uh, if when we've done it with teams, it's generally two to three days. Um, and it, it's partly the time off in nature, but it's also, as Dana was saying, what leads up to it and what follows it. So there, there's a, a setting the stage and a sense of uh, readiness and openness to the process uh, so that someone comes with a set of uh, questions or inquiry or, or kind of a, a sense of uh, unarticulated pull towards something that they're really challenged by. Mm. And I, I started to do this about a decade ago. And um, and now I do this, you know, sometimes Joel and I do this individually with people some and often we do it together. And I've also had other other partners that I've done this with, including, you know, like an example, somebody who's a um, second in command at a large global company. The company goes public um, and this person's net worth. Uh, like he has ridiculous generational money and and where he's left with is now that my life's the outer circumstances have changed what's the purpose for the next phase of my life what's the next part of my life about and so we designed three days of uh you know, everything for like a very comprehensive experience, but with the core going into nature and um, having both exploratory conversations and also doing ritual where there's a letting go of one life and a stepping into another life, you know, um, where there's um, conversations in uh afterwards where we bring a, a, a systems constellation together um so you know everything from some something like that to a client that joel and i are working with um who's in the bay area he's a a senior executive and often when he came to us but often when people come to us they think they need to leave what they're doing um to go out so they can make a bigger impact and sometimes that is what is true for them. But maybe more often than not, the experience is that they're fleeing from something. And really the opportunity is like, okay, what if, you know, what do we want to turn back towards? And what does the situation want to heal? And and this, the very circumstances that they wanted to get away from starts to become the um, the opportunity to uh, heal and learn those lessons that are meant to learn before they go on to whatever next, whatever's next. So one of the ways we work with this 
executive is every three months we spend a day with him uh, walking in the Marin headlands and the hills there. And then we do coaching uh, over Zoom. So there's a number of different ways to do it, you know, and uh, we work with we work with a team. And one of Joel, what Joel hasn't spoken about here is you could say there's wayfinding as a process. And there's wayfinding as a way of being, which like being in tune with what, you know, with what wants to happen next in your life. And Joel's a fourth degree black belt in Aikido and teaches Aikido and brings this Aikido sensibility and Aikido practices um, into the wayfinding work. So we also explore bringing not only but particularly with teams, but not only um, walking in nature and doing ritual in nature, but also bringing Aikido practices to be more in tune with the flow of, I'll say poetically, what life is asking and what's here right now. So I realize I'm being a little um, abstract and Joel, so you may... If you want to make a little more specific, if it's not landing here, I'm not sure. Well, I, uh, if I if I build on the uh, Aikido piece, um, Aikido, one aspect of it is a way of meeting the world, particularly meeting conflict uh, mm -hmm. and energy coming at you, whether it's from a single point or multiple points, you know, like a, a multi-vector, multi-force come, things coming at you. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's a way of, so if one recognizing there's a choice of, of fighting and, and combating and opposing or meeting with some kind of energetic blend. And how do I how do I meet and, and greet and welcome that energy uh, and uh, and then work with it? And so there's you know, we've been talking about sort of there's a there's a, a spiritual aspect, there's a mental, there's an emotional aspect, but there's also a somatic aspect in our bodies. Like what's actually showing up, how I actually move my body, how my body moves in response to conflict and tension and pressure. And, and under pressure, you know, we all have um, uh, ideas and ideals about how we want to be and how we think we are uh, under pressure and under conflict. And yet our body knows different, right? Our, despite our best intentions to want to meet uh, conflict or difficulty in a particular way, we've got a pattern that's built into our both our um, our verbal, our, our our language, our way of responding, uh, our emotional patterns, and all of those are are also kind of encoded into physical patterns. So sometimes the way to access that is actually through the through seeing it in action physically by by um, seeing how people respond under pressure physically. You know, not, not in a way that obviously is dangerous or hurtful. It doesn't take much pressure. Sometimes just the slightest little push and our bodies get activated. And and then we can start to study it and explore different ways of moving. So that, that's all kind of a part of it. So it seems like there's a process here of going into nature. Uh, there's, a, there's a healing that can take place that releases energy for this calling this sense of what life wants with us to come in. And then there's this integration phase. And I'd actually like to talk about attuning to calling, 
in the way that you've just named Joel and in life and, you know, inside of the practice. But maybe before we do that, let's just start with the the healing. And so you're, you're out in nature walking with a person or a team and how do you, um, you know, I, I get, I get this is not like a cookie cutter kind of process. Mm. It's very organic, you know, to you're in nature. It's like you're following the movement of the showing, but yeah. What, what kind of, um, what, what invites in that healing kind of phase or that healing energy? Like, do you have specific questions or ways of being with a person? Does it arise spontaneously? You know, um, some of it is arises in conversation, like just uh, in the process of deep listening and conversation. Uh, I know, uh, Joel, I'm sure you've experienced in, in conversation where as you show up with listening in a way that allows someone to actually discover uh, and speak things that they didn't necessarily uh, know or, or had never spoken before, just by the fact that someone is actually... Um, when they say holding space or listening deeply allows for a deeper speaking when someone's really listening. Um, but we also do different kind of meditations, some of them sitting, some of them walking meditations. Uh, we use poetry, we use writing uh, and have people sometimes, you know, give some prompts and have do journaling and free writing. So there's a, a lot of different modalities. Um Dana mentioned sort of polarities. So uh, oftentimes we find ourselves exploring the different polarities. Uh, I did a wayfinding with uh, two uh, women uh, leaders, executives, just before the holidays. Uh, and towards the end of the time together, uh, particularly prompted by uh, writing and journaling, um, that they both sort of in parallel uh, came to this uh, recognition that in their marriages that they had actually become someone that they didn't really like who they were, that they'd lost a part of themselves that was the, the playful, fun uh, partner and spouse in the process of parenting and raising a family and being, uh, you know, sort of uh, energetic leaders out in the world that there was a quality of loss around just the, the joy in their home life. Uh, and that was quite, you know, Dana talked about healing. And so this, this recognition on each of their parts that they had uh, in their journey of accomplishing, you know, raising a family and doing all this in the world, they'd lost a part of themselves. Uh, so um, that also then circled back to um how does the loss of that part of themselves not just affect their home life and themselves and their marriage, but but who they are and how they show up at work? Because um, that, that old saying, you know, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that led to then some design of, you know, sort of experiments, like what might you do to experiment with, with reawakening that part of yourself uh, and at the same time, uh, sort of acknowledging or appreciating the sense of loss and grief over having lost that part of yourself for some period of time. Um, mm -hmm. 
So, but it's going back to your question, Joel, this mix of, of walking, of conversation, of meditation, of journaling, that uh, a lot of different kinds of uh, modalities that, that emerge. Yeah. Dana, what would you? Uh... Yeah. And, you know, when, when we're attuned to, to ourselves, to, to the moment that we're in and to the other person, there are things that come up that are more subtle. And so often I find clients say something that's quite profound, but they say it, they throw it a, like a throwaway line. And so one of the things I off, I do is I, I, I try to listen and slow things down and really say, could you say again <laughs> what you just said? And when, you know, when the person retrieves the feeling with the words that they say, and there's someone else attuned to them, often there's an a, emotion, strong emotion that's there. So just the, the simple capacity to be able to um, attune to oneself and then just be there feeling with the other person and paying attention to their words. Um, there's so much that's there. And it's, you know, often in the, in the initial conditions at the beginning of anything, what wants to be revealed is often right there. And so paying attention and naming what's there or being curious about what's there. Um, I often find, and I'm speaking to both, um, I'm speaking to both the process of, of you asked about healing, Joel. So I'm, I'm speaking to both the process during being in nature where that happens, but I'm also speaking in any coaching interaction in any coaching interaction, if I'm feeling them, but also attuned to myself, often there's um, something flashes in front of me and it's not fully form formulated, but it's both a feeling and, a, and almost like a visual flash. And I've learned to trust that and I ask the client permission. I say, what I'm going to, what I might g give back here, I don't pretend that it's true, but is it okay if I reflect it back? And then it often touches on something that wasn't obvious, but um, it is, is like a gold mine. And I believe this comes when, you know, Joel was saying, you, you, uh, we go into nature. And what opens up is a new horizon that wasn't there before. And my experience is often when that new horizon opens up, what also opens up is what where energy is stuck that need, that's asking to be liberated, to be able to climb that. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but to be able to, to meet that horizon, right? So 
and it, we didn't, and, and that's what I find I have found in myself over the last couple of weeks as new possibilities have opened up and new horizons have opened up for me. Um, and I, what's also a show, what show, I've also bumped up against edges, emotional edges, things from the past that I didn't know were there until I began to step into this new horizon. So I think, you know, one way to talk about this is action inquiry is you open up a new space of possibility. You begin to experiment in that experiment. You run up against your own edges. You also run up against edges in the system or edges in relationship, you know, in, in the I, we, and it domains, but you could see where the edges are and you take that information in and then there's healing to do. Yeah. And what I love about this, this move into nature is the, you know, the ritual of it, that it's, you're not just doing a, a coaching session on zoom or something. No, you, you know, there's a ritual of the preparatory work that's needed, but also the, the traveling to nature, the, the crossing that threshold into nature, um, and the, you know, like you've named that you're in a different environment the Vista and, and um, you, you alluded to like you're, you're in relationship with nature. Nature is a key partner or, you know, um, element to the, to the unfolding. And that just feels like so potent, you know, and if we think like that's, that's how we evolved, isn't it? For, for, for most of our evolution, we've been, hanging out in these natural environments. And mm. could you say a little bit more about what it is you think that nature, what's going on there with, with nature? Cause I mean, I'm just going to kind of take back my question a moment. You know, it seems like a common theme on this podcast and in my own life, this, as we, as we move through these times that one of the things we're, we're coming into deep relationship with is how we've perceived who we are, you know, as being this kind of apex predator at the top, you know, and in control of nature, separate from nature, I can extract from nature. And that's being decentered. And we're seeing ourselves as we are the things we are, we're natural. We are nature and we're int intimately connected. And so what is it about for you? Like the nature, what is going on there with nature when, you know, when, what's it, what's it doing? If that's the right question, but I think you can take it. Yeah. <laughs> what is it, is it doing? Yeah. Uh, maybe this is What's a being, but, but I, I, I'd like to turn the tables because your listeners don't know this, but you, you participated in a wayfinding with Dana not that long ago. I did. Yeah, that's right. Yes. What, how would you answer that question for, in, for yourself around the role of nature in that conversation, in that conversation? What did you notice? Well, you have to climb if you, if you, if you wanted to climb, but yeah. Yeah, first of all, the, there's probably many things I could say about it, but, you know, in a way what I just named, like there's there's the there's the entering into the, the, for me, what was a magical space, you know, this, the Black Forest in the south of Germany and uh, with, a, with a beloved friend and guide and, you know, there, there's just something that's stripped away like the the routine and the 
habituation of everyday life, you know, that makes my life sound a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, I have a really beautiful life, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, um, it's not, it's not an everyday experience. And that opened up something inside of me. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think on a deeper level, it's like, it's, it's, um, a deep sense of, of kind of well-being and, and a sense of being held by nature in a particular way that, that allows like a relaxation and an opening to take place. And, and then I would say there's even this felt sense of, you know, like a kind of this, this unity with nature as well. Like the, there's a kind of transmission of, of for me, like of being in the forest and um you know i'm just touching into it now as as i reflect on it like i can feel like a uh like mother mother nature and like a sense of being called called home you know mm. um but that home is being called into my future too so mm. there's some things that come up mm. Mm, yeah that that's so I just I'm touched by that. That's just really beautifully uh, spoken, and um, I think part of what you spoke about is this notion of being in a different setting where the day to day life is stripped away, and the sense of anticipation. So I think there's a there's a quality of ritual, like crossing a threshold, that. It's not just like um, calling you as a friend and saying, let's go for a walk. It's being intentional about creating a time and a place where I'm, I'm deliberately putting myself into uh, a deeper set of questions about life and who I am and where I'm going and uh, how I meet life. And this act of sort of being deliberate about that with some lead up to it and the sense of going somewhere and crossing a threshold uh, into into a different process, a different experience, a different setting uh, that of and by itself can be very powerful. And then that threshold being into nature with those qualities of nature that you described and that we've been talking about adds to that. Mm. Yeah. And you know, you both use the you both use the term threshold, and part of. Um, I, I think both of us could tell a story back stories back to our childhood about how our relationship with nature has shaped us both and shaped our work. But um, I won't go all the way back. But um, around 2008, 2009, um, I had a big unraveling in my life. And I went as the end of a marriage, the end of my relationship with my business, my community, you know, all kind health, everything, money. And I took my fear and my, um, my pain to this mountain that I would walk up. And then I went and I did a vision quest which is a, a 10 day experience with a three day, three night solo. And it was, it was so profound and it, it really both provided a space for healing, like for mothering 
And it also opened up a, a new horizon and a new pace for me. And the, the, um, the person who led my quest was generous enough to um, then apprentice me where we would bring leaders on these longer vision quests, um, leaders from all over the world. And we would take them on these 10 day experiences. And, and then this naturally became the essence of that experience became something that Joel and I developed into something that didn't need to take 10 days, but it has some of that DNA in it. And when you go off to do the solo, you go from, um, I I forgot the three phrases that they use, but there's there's a time where you're preparing for the solo, where you still are in normal uh, uh, Kronos time, you know, and and then there's a ritual where you go out, you're you're ritualistically told, gone out to, to for your solo, and it's called crush, crossing the threshold. And when you cross that threshold, there's a sort of liminal space you're in. And everything become you begin to relate to everything being a mirror for you. Like the, you know, most of us live like nature is something animate that's out there rather than rather than what's arising in the world and in nature is an expression of me in the biggest sense of me and and so in so ritualistically those three days everything becomes this mirror and this and this mystery which it is anyway it just gets ritualistically activated and initiated and you then come back from that solo and you're initiated back into incorporation or integration time and where you take the truth that you saw when you were in th the threshold space and you begin to integrate it with the rest of your life and with life. And there's something. So that's a long way. One is I just want to name that because that happens. And I noticed, Joel, when you and I were in the Black Forest and we were walking, time disappeared and we were kind of, we were in this ritualistic space, even though we didn't necessarily, you know, sit, smudge and do all that stuff. Um, and then we came back into life and we came back into a different kind of relationship there. I think there's something about that. Um, that's also key to this experience each, each time we do it. Yeah. And I, feels to me like I'm, I'm glad you brought up the vision quest you went on because uh, it seems like that way of knowing that that you know that liminal space you describe actually we could access that more in our daily lives would be a, a good thing you know this this kind of um, re-enchantment of the world and um, you know a kind of accessing the 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 subtle senses and the imaginal yeah. and, and this this capacity to attune to guidance and information on on a, on these different channels and our everyday experience um 
where you know because because what was interesting on that walk was you know we we had like a few hours but it was just perfect the timing in a way it's a silly question to say like how long do you need to go out because once you once you've crossed that threshold time becomes a different thing and and you kind of it, it is what it is you know so uh revelation occurs and and it's not like too little or too much so um, so I appreciate you brought that in and I can imagine that, yeah, even on these journeys you're doing that, that space is opening up and I'm curious if leaders respond to that and actually feel the call for that in their lives too, you know, more access to that. I think Joel, what you're speaking about is this notion of spontaneously arising insight, like a, a spontaneously arising knowing of something that isn't uh, a product of sort of our usual kind of uh, grinding away thinking, like picking a problem and taking it apart and putting it back together and making lists of pros and cons and, you know, uh, solving it through a, some kind of analytic uh, process, but rather a process of more releasing ourselves from that uh, compulsive, you know, grinding away quality of thinking and in a more expansive way, uh, in an effortless way, an insight arises. So the question is, gee, is that something that um, I have no control over and, and I just hope someday maybe I get an insight about this challenge? Or is there something I can develop? Is that a capacity I can develop in myself to actually access some broader field of, you could call it a field of intelligence or field of knowing, uh, out of which these insights uh, arise. And so, you know, for some people, so our answer is yes, that's that's a capacity one can develop. And for some people, it happens when they're uh, jogging or uh, showering or driving their car on a very familiar route. Uh, but it's a capacity that easily can be developed through walking and spending time in nature. And there's the quality of relaxed, spacious, uh, I don't even want to say thinking because it doesn't feel like thinking in the traditional sense, but the quality or texture of our thoughts is more relaxed and more spacious. And in that quality of relaxed, spacious, uh, spaciousness, is when those kind of insights more spontaneously arise. And, and it's so necessary because the, you know, um, so much of what we talk about is complexity and leaders being over their heads and you can't solve everything by rationally figuring it out uh, and, and through analytic thinking. So this notion of being able to access some larger intelligence and having insights, you know, Dana was talking about it just in, in, in his quality of listening and being with people. There's a sense, a felt sense of something that might be auditory, might be visual, it might be more kinesthetic, but learning to pay attention to those moments of knowing, uh, not like their truth, but, but, but trusting them and checking them out uh, and exploring them becomes a really important capacity in navigating this, this, uh, you know, what we're starting to talk about at the beginning of this conversation on the challenges of the larger world we're in and the, the multiple crises. But Dana, how would you speak to that? Oh, I'm afraid to even start. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 
But let, so let me say a little rather than a lot. Um, one way, so when Joel and I work with teams, we have, all, you know, we have all these frameworks and all these tools. And one way to say what we're doing with a team um, in working in complexity is to be able to um, create an environment where that team's center of gravity, you know, their capacity to work with, to name tensions, to work with those tensions, to release energy, to, to operate at a higher level of complexity, a higher level of functioning than they do on their own. And then to to give them enough practice and and enough tools so they can do that without us. You know, I'll call you know, you could call that vertical development. But like what it seems so it seems to me that what happens is we go into this setting and we tap into this field. Um, this larger field, and in this larger field, things slow down, energy possibilities open, energies released, and then people go. Then we step back into our lives, and we come up against energetic glitches. So this is like the healing aspect. Um, but I'm. I realize I'm not even speaking to your question. I'm speaking to something else. But but what I'm finding is um, that like what this work looks like in action in an organization when it's after they get off the mountain um, is the capacity to be able in a difficult, contentious, stuck conversation to be able to, for our clients to be able to name what's going on. And often there's a cognitive framework like the polarities or the integral four quadrants or David Cantor's structural dynamics, or there's some simple sticky way to name what's happening, which makes it not personal. And it gives people a common way to see it. And then it creates a safe space for people to drop down into the emotional and, and somatic space and work through what's there in a safe way. And then energy gets liberated and new ideas and action starts to happen and coordination starts to happen. But it's like this movement between, um, between opening up something new coming up against energetic blockages, uh, meeting, being with each other in our deep relational space, then bringing a, frame, name, bringing a framework out, which allows for a way to begin to move into action. So it's, it's this dance between action, reflection, feeling, and it starts to become one thing rather than like this fragmented piece. But the work in nature becomes the touchstone, becomes the shared experience, becomes the space that people can find their way back to. So 
I'm not sure what question I was answering, but <laughs> I hope that it was somewhat <laughs> illuminating. Yeah. Well, just on that note, the 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 kind of place where I landed, where I landed, stays with me very clearly, you know, from our mm. wayfinding. So yeah, I can it makes sense when you call it a touchstone. It feels like that. It's it's yeah. Yeah, what do you touch back into now and what can you access? That that's yeah. Yeah, I mean joy, like choosing joy, that was really um where where that came from, you know? Like um and it and it sounds like, oh, choose joy, that sounds I don't know, like a very simple thing or uh, you know, a kind of affirmation, but it's um it's it's a verbal expression of a very potent somatic energetic experience so yeah that's what it points me towards and um so what i'm hearing is in each of you is that there's actually um you know being in nature in this sense can also open us to um you know this different different ways of knowing where the sense of calling can come in and 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 insights can come in that that have a have a different feeling to them and because that comes back to the question i had when you were talking joel earlier about you know uh aikido and and how we can kind of learn to attune somatically to to what's arising so um yeah i guess like what i'm hearing and i want to check this is sounds like you're saying when you're in when you're in that liminal space in nature and you've been opening with these questions and the inquiry and then there's just this felt sense that people connect to of what's calling them and and then you know you they they just feel that or maybe you can reflect that back to them as the guide and it's like i'm curious from there is then this sense of integration like is a you know what what do you invite them into on if they connect to this sense of calling and realization about where life is taking them. I, I guess I think of it as a conversation. So if 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 we think about wayfinding a time in nature as uh, uh, an ex- a conversation, conversation with my with oneself, with the coach, with nature, uh, how do I, as a participant in that process, continue that conversation? Um, and you know, Dana mentioned each of us have our own practice of generally we go for walks every day. Uh, and so, you know, I went for my walk yesterday and, you know, there's some part of my mind that says, Oh, I should use this time. Well, maybe I'll listen to a podcast or I'll use it as an opportunity to call one of my kids and stay in touch. And so there's that always that tendency to use, use my time. Well, be, you know, get something done to produce something. So I didn't do any of that. And I just took the time to be with the walk. And in the process had uh, one of those very surprising insights about a particular situation that's been present in my life for many years that it just had never occurred to me before. And it was such a surprise because it wasn't even a situation I was thinking about. Uh, and it, it, it just arose as I was looking at some uh, uh, trees that were along this path that I walked by just about every day and saw something fresh. And then this thought came. Most of us don't 
create enough slow, spacious time in our day to allow for that. Uh, we're moving, 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 moving. And so having a, a simple practice, particularly kind of post a wayfinding kind of experience to incorporate some practice, whether it's a sitting meditation or walking or, or a, a touch point conversation with a friend or a colleague, something that allows for a slowing down and paying attention in a different way. Hmm. And I say, that's something, you know, anyone can do at any time. It's just a, a practice to in integrate into each of our lives as such an important practice. Mm. It's, it's also a time to, particularly when we're walking with someone to get to know, when you say I have a conversation with myself, there's a lot of selves <laughs> there, you know, uh, Joel and I just did a program called Inner Team Dialogue with a guy named Paul Wyman. And, you know, part of getting to know, part of who shows up are the these are our inner team and some of the characters on our inner team that need to have, uh, need that want to be explored more. And I find all the time when I'm on walks, there are, are different aspects of, this self that want to be have something to say and and Joel Monk that was that was something that we did together um, and we began to ex explore different different aspects of ourselves you know and so I think that also um, you know this this executive um, that Joel and I walk with every three months in the Bay Area. Um, I, we had a very profound conversation with him about the, I believe it was like to explore the responsible one, which I know that resonates for you too, Joel Monk, but to report, re explore with him the responsible one and the hero that that one's been in his life and has contributed to so many. But it's also, the responsible one is also kind of drowned out the playful one. And at this time in his life, um, the playful aspect of himself, his, his life force, his create, you know, ha need needs to come on the stage in a, in a healthier way for him to meet the moment that's being asked of him. And so um, I think being in nature allows us to relax the you know kind of the way that we move through things and open something else up that that's important i see you smiling joel monk yeah yeah i'm just thinking about my yeah my journey with that and um the dutiful one and how yeah you know there was a there was an honoring of the role that he played and 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 a kind of alchemical transformation into into dutiful you know which um felt like um it was honoring the energy of him without um you know um not castigating him but also kind of relieving him of needing to step in and be dutiful all the time so yeah yeah i really appreciate that that part of the wayfinding and how nature enabled there's just something about 
walking around and looking around and being moving and being in that conversation that's also just really um really works for me you know it like it kind of keeps things moving and flowing as well so um mm. yeah yeah um yeah anything else you want to add as we're just coming towards the end of our time today? yeah yeah i wanted to add something from the previous the previous riff we were on is you know we could this threshold space where we create a ritual so that in a certain way, it's like turning on a switch where we begin to notice how everything is reflecting us and everything is, everything is alive and has something to tell, but that's there all the time anyway. And when you go on the Aikido mat, Joel, there's, it's like stepping over into a threshold space. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was recently in a systems constellation, all of a sudden you begin to move in relation in a certain flow as if you're in this animate, alive world. Well, that's what's happening all the time anyway. And I think I think um, the integration phase of which is the work that we do building capacities and working in the organizations with that leader and where they're, what they found on the mountain meets the complexity of how they work with their board around their challenges. That's the, the frothy edge here of bringing that same um, truth of this alive world that's reflect that's an expressing through us but it's also showing us ourselves and so um you know it's the it and i think we can all speak about this like it's so wonderful to be up on the mountain but then real the, the work happens when we come back and where that experience meets the the our real lives so I guess that's that's what's alive for me right now. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm just uh, putting myself in the in the imagined uh, seat of uh, a listener to this, and and um, I think what I'd say is that this whole wayfinding process and being in nature is something that any 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 of us can internalize into our day to day way of being and relating. Uh, of feeling connected to a larger whole, of slowing down, noticing, listening, um, any of those those qualities of living, uh, sort of doing all the little things on my to-do list and getting through my day while I also hold the larger questions of life uh, and, and having those live kind of together. Um, and so, you know, we found spending time in nature is a way to really... Um, ground those and provide a touchstone, as you said, Joel, uh, for that. But it's ideally a touchstone that we bring back into a quality of uh, moving through our day-to-day -day life. And so it's just an invitation to explore that and inquire into that, uh, regardless of what your starting point is. Yeah, that's what I'm taking away with me. Like, I really appreciate this almost two levels of like the the insights and the sense of 
calling and healing that can take place as you're doing wayfinding, but also like wayfinding as a way of being, which, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, actually we can live day to day and that that can bring so much. Like that's kind of what I wanted to say with the re-enchanting the world, you know, and what for me, just the simple practice of walking around and with curious eyes, you know, like open to the world and um, it's just so fulfilling and, and, and enlivening and also allows for like a deeper connection to, to that calling and, and what, what's pulling me. So. Yeah. And Joel, what you're taking those bringing those eyes that curious, those curious eyes to the contractions that are present in the meeting when there's an elephant in the room and all of a sudden the energy's dead. Like that's, I think that's where the, for me, the, the frothy edge of this is that like the, the medicine is in the wound. <laughs> like, oh, not, not like, oh, that was back on the mountain, but what's stuck right now? And what can we begin to be curious and explore about collectively? Because we all know, and either whether it's a one-on-one coaching session or it's working with a team, being able to bring that quality to the stuck places allows for those to be doorways into um, the next horizon. Well, I'm into that. Um, yeah, I'm glad we kind of, feels like we kind of finished the conversation by bringing this part back in and, Mm. Um, yeah, just really grateful for the time we've had together. Where can we find out more about wayfinding and what you're up to? You could let us know about your individual websites or the wayfinding site. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got a website called wayfindinghorizons.com. And that's where our wayfinding work is represented. Uh, my website is just uh, my name, joeljanowitz.com. And Dana, yours is? Dana Carmen Integral Consulting. But you could access both of our websites through our, through the Wayfinding website. Yeah. Joel, Dana, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. That was fun, Joel. Thank you. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.